that are probably upset that the summer's ending and they have to go back to school. Parents, I know you're excited about that, but <laughs> thank you. <laughs> That's encouraging. <laughs> My wife's a teacher too, so I get it. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about words, um, and words have power. They can change minds, they can make someone's day, they can hurt, they can anger. Words can affect change and put powerful movements into place. Um, they can even inspire or devastate. Or if we're open to God's voice and his leading, they can change uh, someone's life so drastically that it will impact their very eternity. And if we put our minds to it, we can probably think back through our lives and think of words that have impacted us, whether it's something you know, a parent or a mentor said to us, or maybe just like really impactful movie lines from, from uh, famous movies. One that comes to mind is Jack Nicholson and A Few Good Men telling Tom Cruise that he can't handle the truth. I'm not even going to try to impersonate it because I wouldn't do it justice. Um, but then there's also, you know, from, from the Bible, the, the most powerful and impactful book ever written. We can talk about um, verses that a lot of us know and can probably quote. Uh, the one that comes to mind is John 3.16. If you know it, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only uh, begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Sorry if I said that too fast for you. <laughs> and the verse for me that I've always held on to has kind of been like a life verse for me is, is Romans 6.23. And that's the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's always been like just a powerful word, and I'm sure each one of you have a verse that you've gone to throughout your life and that has just been powerful and, and impactful and, and a sense of comfort for you that God's given you. There's even verses that tell us how powerful words are. Um, Proverbs has a couple of them that seem like they were tailor-made for this message, so thank you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> Proverbs 12.8 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And then the last verse that we're going to be studying um, in our Evolve series is found in Colossians 4, and it's about this very topic, the power of words. God consistently seeks to heighten our awareness to the power and the impact that our words have. He wants us to, be, to have an understanding that what comes out of here impacts the people that, that hear it. Right? They, they, it, it has power and meaning to the people that we're talking to. So we have to choose our words carefully sometimes. And, how, and so how can we become more aware of the power of our words and use them to introduce other people to Jesus Christ? And that's the topic that we're going to tackle today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, for uh, powerful words that you give us, that we hear from other people. And uh, just thank you so much for, for being uh, a leading force in our life that, that draws people closer to you, Lord. So I just pray that you would speak to us today. We invite you into uh, this place right now and ask that you would speak directly to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you want to pull out your uh, program guides, uh, the, the first point that we're going to talk about is the fact that powerful words are bathed in prayer. Powerful words are bathed in prayer. And we're going to look at uh, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4. And it says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. This is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim the message as clearly as I should. So I love that in this verse, Paul doesn't just challenge the Colossians to pray. 
He gives them specific directions to, and makes it a point to include that they're to pray with an alert mind and a thankful heart. And in your outlines, you can just underline those two things. Pray with an alert mind and a thankful heart. And I think that when we pray, these two elements are kind of easy just to assume that we have. Um, everyone's, everyone wants to say that they have a thankful heart, right? And, um, but I think sometimes we have a tendency to overlook them. And I think what Paul is trying to get across us is it's not just the words that we say, but it's kind of a spiritual posture that we take before the Lord of having a mental or an alertness and a thankful heart towards God. So I want to dig into these kind of one at a time, and I want to talk about alertness first. And I think... Um, Paul is talking about these in this, this word in kind of two different, two different lights. Um, and I think that what Paul is going for is kind of a combination of the two. The first light that Paul is talking about is a mental alertness. Okay, as, as Christians in, this, in a world of suffering and pain and just bad stuff happening in our world, it's up to us to be alert to those things and take them before the Father. Um, something that kind of po- pops into my mind in this is kind of, I kind of relate it to the, the child safety laws that have been acted, um, enacted over the past year or so with clearances and everything. I said earlier, my wife's a teacher. I do a lot of work with youth, um, and those have really impacted. I've had to get, get a lot of clearances, take a bunch of courses to make sure that I'm Pennsylvania State certified to, to uh, be in a room with kids and students. Uh, and one of the things... One of the courses that I'm, I'm still working through is this mandated reporter class. And one of the things, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like a three-hour online course. But one of, the, um, one of the things that it emphasizes throughout that course is that we, we kind of have an obligation to report, right? Not kind of, we do. So whether we see a kid, if we see a kid that we perceive is in harm's way, whether it's here at church or at another youth event, at school, or even at the grocery store. If we suspect that a child is being harmed, we have to report that. We have an obligation to report that. So if the way I kind of equate that to us as Christians is if we see a prayer need, if we see something going on that, God, you just need to work in this situation, we don't have an excuse to sit idly by or just walk by it. We have an obligation and a duty, and Paul's saying, to report that to the Father. That's what he's saying when, when he's talking about mental alertness. We have to be aware of what's going on, but it can't stop there. God wants us to tell him about it. He wants us to report it. We have a duty as loving Christians to report those things. The second light that, that Paul's talking about when it comes to alertness is, is moral alertness. And this kind of goes hand, hand in hand with the mental part, but again, the, the things going on in our world aren't the prettiest, right? How many have turned on the news and it's just like, I can't, I can't watch this, right? They just have to turn it off. Amen, right? <laughs> I just have to turn it off. There's all kinds of stuff going on, on in our world. You know, I listen to the radio and, and I get saddened by the stuff that's going on in the world that we're living with. We see sexual sin running rampant, children being abused, people being murdered for their beliefs, and just people doing bad stuff, awful stuff to other people. And it, it just makes you sad. It breaks your heart to watch it. To, you know, I have a three-year-old son, and to see, like, this is the world that he's growing up in. I work a lot with the high school students back there, back in Element. This is the world that these guys are, are about to enter into as college students. You know, this, and it, it blows my mind that this is happening. But... If we want our words to have power, again, we have to, to, to answer that call to God to report it. Not just report it, but then say, God, how can I be involved in this process of making things better? Right? God wants us to be involved in his plan, in his kingdom. And we have to have that conversation, have to have that dialogue with him in order to be able to, to be part of that. 
So the challenge, I think, is to stop praying solely the purpose of telling God what he can do for us and start saying, God, what can I do to help you and help your kingdom? I think that's the challenge that Paul's giving us here. The second thing that that, um, Paul tells us to pray with is pray with a thankful heart. And again, this is something, you know, if I'm honest with you, it's something that I don't know that I grasped fully until probably like a couple years ago. Um, You know, that's not to say I didn't, you know, thank God and say thank you and and show my appreciation to God. You know, I can think back to when my son was born. I said thank you a lot. (laughs) Um, You know, my my wife made it through her surgery, you know, healthy, fine. Derek was healthy. Just thank you, Jesus. But I don't know that I really got that spiritual posture of thankfulness. And I can tell you the exact point in time that I got it. It It was around the time Derek was about two years old, and we started to uh, the process of transitioning from a crib to a, what we call a big boy bed, right? So we, uh, we took down the crib, uh, we put a twin bed in his bedroom, we decked it out in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle sheets, of course. My bed too, no. <laughs> we decked it out in Ninja Turtle sheets, and Derek and I have started this kind of uh, ritual. If anybody has like a, a young kid, they probably have bedtime rituals. Um, and I'm, I'm usually the one that takes Derek to bed, and he... He started to figure out the longer he can keep me talking, the, le- the, the longer it is till he has to go to bed. So it kind of started with, you know, the first night I put him to bed, Daddy, will you lay with, with me for a couple minutes? I mean, who's going to say no to that? <laughs> Daddy, will you lay with me for a couple minutes? Okay, so I got in bed with him, and then it's es- it escalated. Daddy, will you lay with me a couple minutes, and then a couple more minutes? Okay, Derek. All right, and then it's, Daddy, will you lay with me a couple more minutes, a couple more minutes, and then a little bit longer, okay? And now it's escalated. At this point in time, it's, Daddy, will you lay with me for a couple minutes, a couple more minutes, a little bit longer, and then a big, 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 big longer. <laughs> so, like, I wake up in Derek's bed at, like, 2.30 in the morning wondering what happened. I don't just <laughs> so, that's, that's, so after we get through all that and we establish how long I'm going to be in bed with Derek, uh, we, we pray. And we say that, you know, the traditional, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and he was here, he would say it. Um, and then after that, I always tell Derek to, to thank God for two things. It's usually like, thank you for letting me play outside today, and thank you for letting us go out to eat or eat pizza or something like that, little kid's prayer. And then, um, and then I usually pray, and I always pray for Derek's salvation, I always pray that God impacts his life, um, and then whatever else God puts on my heart to pray for him. And then, so the, and then basically, he, he, he falls asleep. Um, and this particular night that I'm talking about with this thankfulness, uh, I was laying there, and Derek was falling asleep, and, and parents, you know your kids are never more angelic than when they're falling asleep, right? <laughs> and I'm watching that, watching his chest go up and down, and I'm having kind of an in, internal dialogue of just telling God how much I appreciate Derek, and, and I just got this sense, this overwhelming feeling of love, right, that welled up, and just thankfulness, and it uh, you know, God used this situation with me and Derek to, to kind of inspire that in me. But thankfulness, and I didn't even have to say a word. I knew that God knew my heart. I knew that, that God could tell that my heart was thankful. And that was the first time that I really understood what it meant to go before the Father in a spiritual posture of thankfulness. Without saying a word, I knew that God knew that I was thankful for him. I was thankful for my family. I was thankful for my wife. I was thankful for salvation, for everything. And I try each and every day to get to that point of thankfulness with God. When I'm interacting with God, it's, you know, a position of humility of just, God, thank you so much for everything that you've done for me. 
And I would encourage you to explore that as well. If you haven't gotten to that place, explore that, have that dialogue with God. I mean, I don't get to that place of just like wanting to cry in Derek's bed every night, but I do get to that, that posture of, of spiritual thankfulness. So then Paul would go on to ask the, the church to pray for him to have divine appointments with people who clearly need uh, to, to hear and understand the good news of Jesus Christ. The NIV has a really cool translation of this verse, and it says, um, Paul's asking the Colossians to pray for an open door for their message to be heard. And I think in kind of our, our Christianese, when we think of an open door, we think of it in terms of like a non-believer walking through it to Jesus. But I think what Paul's asking the Colossians to do and what God's asking us to do is to interpret this open door as from our perspective, okay? It's not just for the, the, the non-believer to walk through. It's for us to say, God, I want this open door. Open it. Take the non-believer by the hand and walk them back through to Jesus. He's calling us. We have a responsibility in this open door situation as well. It's not enough for us and others to pray for these divine appointments. That's important, but that's not enough to stop there. We have to walk through the door that it's been prayed for and actually make that invitation. That's when our words can have power. And I believe that God has a hand in these divine appointments. Paul wouldn't be telling us to pray for it, pray for these divine appointments if God didn't have a, a, a hand in it. And I'm amazed over and over and over when I, when I make these, and I have these conversations with God, please give me that door, set up a, a, a divine appointment for me to talk to this person or that person, or God, just give me a chance to witness for you. I'm amazed how God comes through in those instances. Uh, for me personally, um, one story that I can think of actually took place when I was deployed to Iraq, and the open door was actually a Humvee door. <laughs> um, so I was, uh, I, God put it on my heart. I was, in, I was in the Army Reserves for eight years, and I did a deployment to Kuwait, and then a year later, God put it on my heart to volunteer to go to Iraq. And I knew that's where God wanted me, but I wasn't really sure why. <laughs> I was like, okay. But, and that was a struggle for me just to be like, God, why are you sending me here, and um, there was a guy in my unit, his name was Sharif, and uh, I, I developed a bit of a, a friendship with him. Sharif was, at one point in time in his life, was a very devout Muslim, uh, but kind of had fallen away from that and was kind of living life on his terms at that point in time, and God put it on my heart to pray for Sharif and, and pray for uh, an open door, basically, to, to have conversations with him. And... Um, so again, it's funny how God works. <laughs> we actually, the two of us got tasked, every day we had to drive in a Humvee to the other side of our base, which was like a half hour away, uh, to pick up mail <laughs> for our detachment and drive it back. So basically I was in a Humvee with him every day for an hour. <laughs> and Sharif and I, like on the outside, like we wouldn't have a lot, of, lot in common. Um, but through that, we developed like a really strong friendship and I was able to share uh, some, of, some of my beliefs with him, and he shared some of his with him. We just had a really open and awesome dialogue uh, through that, that year of, of doing that each and every day. Um, and now, to, to my knowledge, Sharif has, has never accepted Christ, but he did tell me at one point in time, like, I never, I never viewed Jesus the way you do, and I'm starting to do, like, I, I get where you're coming from at this point. So um, that was really impactful for me. Like I said, he never accepted Christ. He's somebody that I still pray for and still keep in contact with from time to time. Um, but it's just, it's kind of an illustration of how amazing it is when God comes through 
on his promises. Like, I knew that he was going to give me an opportunity to, to talk to Sharif. I didn't know what it was going to look like. And God's answer was, go sit in that really hot Humvee for an hour and talk to him. <laughs> so, I mean, I am a little thick-headed, so sometimes it takes something that drastic to do that. So God invented prayer so that we could experience his heart uh, that seeks to draw other people into a rich relationship with him. That's what God wants from us. He wants a relationship with us. Prayer is not only speaking to God, or speaking to God, but as Paul has taught us, prayer is also listening. David Sinconis, prayer is always listening. <laughs> it's also listening. It takes, there's a reason that God gave us two ears and one mouth, right? You've heard that, that old adage before. Uh, we have two ears because we're supposed to listen twice as much as we talk. Um, there's, a, there's a really powerful verse in James 1.19 that encourages us to do that. It says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Really awesome that he puts slow, or quick to listen first before the other things. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So our second point today is powerful words are seasoned with grace. Powerful words are seasoned with grace. Colossians 4, 5, and 6, it says, live, uh, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So God, through Paul, is calling us to something, calling us to a responsibility. And it's a responsibility that Paul accepted and knew enough to ask for prayer. Okay, if we're going to accept these divine appointments, we have to be uh, bathed in prayer, basically. We have to have that, that, that grace from God. We, ha- we have to be praying for ourselves, and people have to be praying for us, and we have to be praying for other people. Paul didn't want to miss the opportunity to welcome another brother or system into the kingdom of God. That's what his heart was, and as, as Christians, that's what our heart should be either. We shouldn't want to miss those opportunities either. This passage tells us to be gracious and attractive in our conversations, and sometimes we forget, again, that at least half of what's involved in a conversation is done with our ears and not with our mouth. Listening is so important to letting a person know that you're not only paying attention, but that you care. I work full-time. My full-time job is I work in a call center for uh, a financial institution. And um, I've, I've learned that there are a couple of things. One, there's two things that people get, three things that people really get upset about. One is their kids, two is their food, and three is their money. <laughs> okay? So you can, ima- you can imagine that as a supervisor, there's not a lot of people calling up to talk to me to tell me to have a nice day. <laughs> um, so I, in, this, in this, this job that I have, I've, I've, another thing that I've learned is that at the very root of every banking problem or every issue, no matter how mad somebody is or how, what words they choose to relay that information to me, uh, at the core of everything, they just want to be heard, right? They just want somebody to listen to them and let them know that they care, <laughs> care about what they're saying. So in my training for this job, I've been in this position for like four years. Um, in my training for this, there's not like, I've learned, there's not like any special banking terms that's going to make people's problems go away. There is, the, what we were trained on was listening and showing people over the phone <laughs> that we are listening. It's called active listening. Telling them, using words like, I, I, I understand. I get it. I know what you're going through. I empathize with that. I sympathize with that. I get it. And then once you're on that, that, that level ground of 
yes, we're on the same page, we both know that I care and I'm listening to you, then you can work towards a solution to their problem. Um, so it's just a, it's an illustration of how important it is to listen to somebody and, and, and show them that you care, and in our case, um, that you, you love them and, and appreciate the, the, the situation that they're in. There's a, an author named David Augsburger. He has a great quote here. It says, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. So again, the way that we listen goes a long way towards showing another person that we care. What, it, what does it really look like to listen? What does it really look like to let your conversation be gracious and attractive? What message are, are both your lips and your ears sending? Paul would go on to instruct the church to speak in a way that's engaging because it's both gracious and attractive. But what does that look like? What does it look like to truly listen? What does it look like to have those powerful interactions and be able to invite somebody to Christ? Okay, and as I was thinking about like, where, where powerful conversations happen, where interesting conversations happen, really, the, the place that came to mind was like a coffee shop or like Starbucks. If you've never gone into Starbucks by yourself and sat and listened, you're missing out. <laughs> There's something about a caramel macchiato that just gets people's lips going, I think. <clears throat> so I was thinking about this and, and trying to kind of put my place in, in Starbucks, basically, and uh, thinking about what that meaningful conversation would look like. What would that really ultra-powerful conversation look like to a point where I would be able to share Jesus with somebody? And, yes, that's an onion. <laughs> um, the illustration that, I, that I, I thought of was an onion. <clears throat> and I imagine, you know, sitting across somebody, I have somebody in my brain, you probably think of somebody in your mind that you would like to invite to a saving relationship with Christ. And uh, so I, I'm, you know, picturing this person across the table from me as we're talking. And I, I've heard it said that, that onions are like people because they have layers, um, lots of layers that you have to get through to get to the core, get to the heart of, of, of their belief system, of who they are. Each person has a lot of layers in the form of like their culture, their upbringing, uh, their mindset on things, a whole bunch of experiences that you have to get to to get to that core, to get to, that, to the heart of what's going on in their life. And, and for them to be able to, to accept an invitation to Christ, I believe that they, we have to get to that heart. And I started thinking about, like, what are ways that you can get to the heart or the core of an onion? Um, and I thought of a couple different ways. The first way um, involves a knife. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. But the, probably the fastest way to get to the core of an onion would be just to chop it right down the middle, right? And it would be effective. We would get through. Um, there'd probably be tears from me. <laughs> and, uh, but there's probably be some damage that happens as well. We'd probably chop through some of the onion that we wanted to use and wouldn't be able to, to utilize it in what we were cooking. The same can be said for, for the person that we're thinking about on the other side of the table. If we cut too quick to the core, if we don't listen, if we don't honor the fact that they come to the table with a certain, some certain things, some certain uh, 
preconceived notions, a life or, or a culture or whatever it is that's keeping them. We don't accept that and understand that. We're never going to get to a place where we can truly share Christ with him. And I, you know, sitting here as I was preparing for this message, you know, I, if I'm completely honest with you, I can't say that I haven't been wielding the knife in trying to do good things for God. You know, I can think of specific interactions where I started convicting people, where I started, you know, throwing Bible verses at people when they weren't ready to receive it. And honestly, I did more damage than good uh, for God's kingdom. And and that hurts me. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I, I apologize to God for that and just continue to pray for those people. But the, I think the, the, what Paul's calling us to do, what Paul wants us to do and what God wants us to do is when we look at this onion, you know, probably it might be time-consuming, but probably the best way to get to the core of this onion is to start peeling off those layers one at a time. You know, we, we, won't, we won't lose any of the onion. We'll get to the core. We'll get to the heart of it, and we'll be able to... Um, Use, use it in its entirety. And I think that's the best way to get not only to the core of the, of the onion, but also the best way to get to the core of the person. So what does that look like? I believe it looks like asking questions. Good, open-ended questions just to figure out where they're at. Not just in their relationship with God, but where they are at as a person. You know, and then truly, truly listen. Don't just pretend you're listening. You know, Starbucks can be a very hustle and bustle kind of place, but really focus in and try to understand where they're coming from. Show that you love them by listening to them. Again, I do a lot of, a lot of work back in the, the high school room in Elements, um, and probably the most meaningful ministry times that I have aren't in the lessons that I teach or, you know, playing ping pong <laughs> or stuff like that. It's, it's after the lesson when I have the opportunities to grab one of them, pull them aside and say, so where's Where's God in that? What's that look like for you? And I think that they, I think they appreciate those conversations um, and because I think that they, they trust me. And I think that they could trust me to, to be open and honest and, and understanding with them um, and be at a place where I can accept where they're at and then give them some guidance for, for how to move forward. And I think that's what God's calling us to. <clears throat> I'm amazed as I, as I read through Scripture as Jesus' just ability to meet people where they're at. You know, if you read through the scriptures, Jesus doesn't necessarily come at them convicting them right away. He, ha- he meets them where they're at. He has an understanding of who they are. The woman at the well always comes to mind to me. He, he, he accepts, kind of accepts where she's at and, and moves on and offers her something better. So before we can offer something better, we have to understand where that person's at and what they're doing in their lives and, and what's keeping them from accepting that better thing. And once we do that... Um, I think it, God can really have a life-changing, impactful um, time with them in a relationship with them. That's the open door that God's talking about. Uh, so I would encourage you, when you're praying for these uh, open doors, when you're praying for these divine moments with people, don't lose sight of the fact that people just want to be heard. People want you to know where they're at, and they want you to care. Now, I, we have a video uh, that I wanted to show. It kind of shows the simplest form of what it looks like to show somebody that they care. So it's just a short, quick video here. Thank you, Huya.
tatay, pag na ano namin yan, siyempre, pag new grocer kami eh, uh, usually doon kami talaga pumipila sa kanya kasi napakamasiyahin yung tao. One time kasi, may naiwan kaming isang supot. May humahabol sa amin. Yung pala si Totoy. Si ate kasi, kakaiba yung pagbati niya sa'yo. Alam natin, napaka-traffic. Pero pagpasok mo pa lang sa parking lot, sobrang nakangiti. Sasabihin siya, hi sir, kamusta na po kayo sir? Okay lang mabiyahe niyo. Mga simpleng tanong, pero alam mo concern yung tao. Yung sasakyan kong van, madalas ko siya masasakyan. Kaya ako gusto sa kanya kasi alam ko kay kuya na ingat ako. Okay siya makipag-usap, hindi yung tinatrato kanyang customer, trato kanyang kaibigan. Yung kasing guard dito sa condominium namin, boss ang tawag sa kanya, nakakatuwa lang siya. Araw-araw, wala siyang mintis na bumabati sa akin. Meron isang beses galing sa gimikan, sa warang napainom. Hindi ko na alam kung paano ba ako nakaakyat. Siya pala yung nagatid sa akin. So alam mo pangalan niya? Salamat ate. Thank you ate. Thank you, Artemio. Hindi ko akalain na tawagin niya ako. Masaya na po ay yung pangalan mo. Masasaya na ako sa tawagin. Tawagin nila yung tunay ko na pangalan. Asawa ko, hindi naman lang po tawagin sa pangalan ko. Kuya Benilio, maraming salamat. Salamat, Ivan Craig. So Coke gets it. <laughs> um, what, a, what a powerful way just to show somebody that you care. It's something that I've been convicted of. Um, you know, I'm, I'm awful with names. And, you know, even like the, the high schoolers, like, it takes me a few weeks to get it. <laughs> you know, what their name is. I'm calling them Buddy and <laughs> whatever else comes to mind before I actually learn their name. But that's, that's, a, that's kind of a convicting but a great place to start with making a connection with somebody and, and showing someone that, that you care. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for, again, the power of your words. Thank you that you, you desire a relationship with us, Lord, and, but you also you created us to have relationships with other people. Lord. We can use those relationships to introduce people to you. That's just the most awesome, awesome, awesome experience that I've ever uh, had. And I just I pray that for all these guys in, in and ask that you would create those divine appointments. Help us to pray for those open doors and have the courage and understanding and willingness to walk through them. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Traced out by the city lights My world's on the mile high Best seat in the house tonight Touchdown on the cold black top Hold on for the sudden stop Breathe in the familiar shock of confusion The chaos All those people going somewhere Why have I never cared? Stepped out on the busy street See a girl and harass me Does her best to smile at me To hide what's underneath There's a man just to her right Black suit and a bright red tie Too ashamed to tell his wife He's out of work, he's buying time All those people going somewhere Why have I never cared? Give me your eyes for just one second Give me your eyes so I can see Everything that I keep missing Give me your love for humanity Give me your arms for the broken hearted Ones that are far beyond my reach Give me your heart for the ones forgotten Give me your eyes so I can see Give me your arms for the broken 